Well, for just about 18 months, we have been talking a lot about bridges and about connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. And last Sunday, I began a series that will run us through the month of March. I believe it is perhaps the most consequential series that I've preached since I've been here. And I believe that uh, as we work our way deeper into uh, the mission that God has given us, as we begin to unpack some of the methods that come with that mission, I believe that it helps begin to formulate for us and maybe even to form uh, an idea of what this bridge is that we've been talking about. We are the bridge, and we are building bridges. And so, we asked John Hurley to build us a bridge. And look at there, he did. So, you might have been wondering what that was, and it might not look like a bridge because all the pieces are laying around all over the place. Uh, we did have a Disciple Now weekend. The kids had a work project. Did not involve deconstructing the stage, but it looks like planks from a stage here. Actually, these are pieces, these are planks of that bridge. We give you that visual here on the front end because I want to highlight this truth. And a bridge is valuable for cross traffic, either direction. But when pieces of the flooring, the planks, if you will, of that bridge are not there, then it has a way of destroying what the purpose of that bridge was in the first place. And so, as we go through the next four sermons, today plus the next three, what I want to do is I want to build off of our Vision Task Force report, page five, and the mission, which we talked about last week, by identifying the methods, and we have seven different ones. So, each one of those pieces, those planks, these boards that are laying here that will ultimately be part of that bridge, uh, every one of those are important for us. If we get all but one of them, then we diminish our effectiveness in fulfilling our mission. So let me give you what those are because I suspect that you did not bring your vision task force report with you today. And that's quite all right because you knew I would bring mine. So here's what we say. The mission, by the way, the what we looked at last week is twofold. Finding ourselves in a mission field, and now I quote, we are charged with building bridges to the lost and broken. That's the first part of our mission. And the second part, with transforming lives by growing disciples who reach out and connect people to the love and the life of Jesus. That's the mission statement. But how do we do that? Well, this report helps us. It grows directly out of Scripture, and we'll be using these highlighted Scripture text for each one of these seven planks as we work our way through. Since we are one statement with two pieces, we will do that by, and I quote again, uh, doing all to the glory of God. That means excellence. I'll just give you the shorthand version of these. We also will focus on the method of communication and coordination, and also the method of the plank of education. And another one is relationships. And another one is evangelism and missions. And another one is discipleship. But we begin with the one that is at the top of the list. It is first in place, first in priority for us as we seek to fulfill our mission as given by Jesus Christ, to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, to build bridges. We will focus on one of those aspects which is prayer. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Isaiah, 
chapter 56, and we'll be there shortly. But as we get there, there's a couple of things I want to do before we come to the text. So let me calm your concerns now, okay? Uh, I don't want you somewhere in the middle of this sermon going, has this guy even read any Scripture yet? Okay, the answer is yes, we will read some shortly. But I'm going to save the primary explanation of the text to the end of this sermon, okay? We're going to do the application first. So I'm telling you that ahead of time so some of you don't kind of lose me in the middle thinking this is not even in the Bible, but it is, okay? So that means you're going to have to stay awake until the end or at least have somebody wake you up at the end. Okay, with that in mind, let's come to this text, Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, and especially the last little part of verse 7 says this, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, towards the latter half of this message, we're going to read 56, 1 through 8, and we'll put it all in context. But what I want to do is I want us to start with maybe some obvious questions that might not necessarily have obvious answers. When we say, and I'll read it straight from our task force report, that we will do these things by being a house of prayer for all nations. How do you view prayer? When we talk about prayer, what is the image that is conjured in your mind? How do you see what prayer is? I I kind of think, and I've, I've been at this for a while now, and in my own life and in the lives of others as I've seen through the years, I I think that there is a bit of a tendency among Christians to view prayer uh, in a very focused and very specific way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it may not be the best way to view prayer. Because in reality, prayer is broad and deep at the same time. And so when we talk about being a house of prayer for all nations, I I think it's important that we move beyond just that point of focus uh, that we immediately lock in on when we talk about what prayer is, whatever that point of focus is for you, however you see it. So let's do it this way. I want to take you back to our windows over here. I did this a few weeks ago, and uh, I know you've been dreaming about our church windows ever since. Actually, they're very beautiful, and I don't know how often you look at them, but I, it's just a great exercise for me to come in, especially during the music service while we're singing and kind of look and see and remember some things about our church and our heritage here. But I want to take you to this bottom floor of windows over here on my right, your left. And in the center, that center panel, and each one of these has a different focal picture. But around those focal pictures in each one of those windows uh, is the pane that we find up here on our screen now, right? So think about that red dot. If I say to you, what does prayer mean to you? Chances are good you're going to go to that dot. And for you, whatever your answer is, when you talk about prayer, when you think about prayer, that's what you think about. But I would suggest to you that prayer might well be the entire window. Actually, I might say the prayer prayer might really be the entire wall of windows. It is deep, it's broad, 
And it's very important in our ongoing daily life, especially if we are on mission seeking to be what God called us to be. If you think in terms of your television set at home, some of you have a 4K television. And uh, I don't know if you know what that means exactly. You probably just know that it gives you a great picture. But let's talk about why it gives you a great picture. It has to do with pixels and megapixels and that 4K application of those. A pixel, if you'll just think of it this way, in a picture, a pixel is the center dot. While there's all kinds of stuff going on around it, a pixel is just one dot in that picture. It is almost impossible to take a single dot in a picture and figure out what the whole picture is. But if that's our prayer life in a nutshell, and we see prayer as only that single dot, there's more going on around it. And so we get from a dot, which is a pixel, to a megapixel. A mega, I'm, by the way, I'm a layman in all of this, right? This is, thank you for Dr. Google for all of his help with this. But a megapixel is a million pixels. So if you have a picture that is just one dot, one pixel, as compared to one that is a million of those dots, different colors, different shades, all of those come together to form that bigger picture. So think outside of the dot and think into that whole panel of colors and all that, and it makes a picture. Just to finish the idea here, the reason your 4K TV looks so sharp and clear is because it has 8.5 megapixels that make it look that way. So go from just one dot, one pixel, to 8.5 million, and you get a lot of nuance, and you get a lot of clarity, and that's how prayer should function for us. So let me just stop, and let me ask you to spend just a moment to do a quick evaluation of your prayer life. Is it a pixel kind of prayer life? Or is it a megapixel kind of prayer life? So that pushes me then to say, well, let's talk about what prayer is. And so as you can see from your bulletin and the title that we're using this morning, that prayer could be a path or pathway or a process, or a place, as it seems to be highlighting in that passage that we just read. Prayer as path, prayer as process, or prayer as a place. What I want to do is I want to take you onto the mountains up here with me, if you will, because I've... Uh, I set some goals for myself this year, have to do a lot of different things. One of them is a kind of a health goal, and well, not kind of a health goal, it's very much a health goal, and uh, when you're at the bottom, it doesn't take much improvement to get better, and so we're getting better at that, but I will tell you this, that one of the elements of that goal that I set for myself is to get up on the mountain as often as I can, at least once a week, and then once a month to do kind of a big hike, all right? towards an ultimate goal that I'm shooting for. Now, that means that I'm spending some time on the mountain, and a lot of that time is alone, and that's by, uh, by design for a couple of reasons early on here in the year. But uh, I want to take you up on the mountain with me over the last two weeks, all right, and help you understand a little bit of this path and process 
and place that prayer is for us, okay? So, again, we're in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. The last part he says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What does Isaiah mean? What does God mean through his prophet Isaiah? So first we see prayer as a path. Since I've been here, some of my friends here in the church and co-workers here in the church uh, have talked a lot about different trails. And so some of the men of our church have kind of latched on to me, so to speak, and said, come on, let's go and kind of drug me up there. And I say that because they're a lot faster than I am. And I'm always the guy saying, I'll catch up. If, well, if I could catch my breath, I would catch up. But um, So I've heard a lot of different things about different trails around here. And, and always the trail is highlighted by the destination. We don't really talk about, oh, you know that trail, the one with the rocks on it, because that's pretty much all of the trails up here in the mountains. Uh, but these trails are named after designated places. And so there's the 10,000 steps trail, and you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure out what that one means. There's the Aztec cave trail. Uh, but the one that I was most interested in at this particular point of the year was the Cottonwood Spring West Trail. And so my February goal was to get up to the Cottonwood Spring. Now, some of what I'm about to say is very uh, basic, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I just want to put the pieces together, okay? So if I want to get to the Cottonwood Spring on the west side, um, I don't want to take the 10,000 Steps Trail, okay? I could do that, but there's a long walk between those two destinations, so when I set as my plan to go to the Cottonwood Spring on the west side, I had to ask myself these questions. How do I get there? And then I had to understand, if I know that that's where I want to go, I also need to know where I am. And I just spent about five minutes or maybe a little bit more than that talking about where you are and where I am and where we are in our prayer lives. Where are you? What is prayer to you? So in order to get to the destination, I need to know, where am I? I also need to know, uh, where do I want to go? So that's clear. It's the Cottonwood Spring. Uh, and then I need to figure out which trail gets me there. And so I did my homework, and I went and I got a map of the trails in the Franklin Mountains, in the state park especially, and I plotted it out, and I even drove out there, and I said, okay, there's the sign that goes there. And you know, those signs are easy to find. It's, it's the work to get to where you're trying to go that really is the hard part. Let me stop for a moment. We'll go on with that in just a moment. But let's stop for just a moment, and let's come back to this question about what is prayer and how should we see prayer. What is prayer as a path? Here's my answer, something of a working definition. Prayer is the path we take to intimacy with God. Sounds simple. By the way, I'm presupposing that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior because He's, he's the door. You know, we could do all of those from the book of John where He says, I am the, you know, the light of the world and I'm living water, and we could do all of those things. Jesus is, is, our, is our Savior but when you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ and to be on mission as a bridge builder, as a connector to people with the love and the life of Jesus, then that 
means that we have to understand. So how do we get to that point where Jesus is more than just somebody out there? I'll say that even better. He's more than just some divine somebody out there. I can even say it better. He's more than just my Savior. He's my guide. Well, I get a little ahead of myself there. So let's come back. Prayer is the path to intimacy with God. Well, everybody doesn't believe that. You do realize that, right? Everybody does not believe that prayer gives us that opportunity for intimacy with God, with Jesus himself. I got a thing in the mail, this uh, email this week. It's electronically delivered, let's say it that way. Uh, and at, when I first read it, uh, I thought, I can't believe that they just said that. And so I went back to it, and I read it again, and sure enough, they said it. And so I, I stumbled over it and kind of chewed on it a little bit. And I have a, I'll give you my summary of it in just a minute, but let me give you what it is. Here's a direct quote of what I was given by you know, electronic means this week. Investing time in prayer simply means connecting to a force or a power beyond you. Let me stop and let that sink in, because if you're a Christian, that should bother you a little bit, or a lot. So it bothered me a lot. Again, investing time in prayer simply means connecting to a force or a power beyond you. And then they go on to say, this could be God, the universe, or anything. So let me just make sure that we're all on the same page here. There's a theological term for that. It's hogwash. Okay? (laughs) Investing time in prayer simply means connecting. I like that word. Connecting, and we're going to say, to God Himself, Jesus the Christ. Prayer is the path to intimacy with God. I don't know what your view of prayer is. I don't know if you have the pixel, the dot, or if you've experienced and practiced that full sweep of the depth and the breadth of what prayer is. But if your prayer is not marked by intimacy with God, then I would suggest that you do some evaluating because it's there. It's available. And prayer connects us. I I like to say it this way. It gives us the opportunity to go into the very throne room of heaven and crawl into the lap of the very king of kings and hear his heart for us. Prayer is a path that connects us and gives us intimacy with God. Why is that important? The answer to that is that every path leads you somewhere. And there are many different paths that are out there. I'm about to talk about that in a little more detail. But every there are all kinds of paths that we can take in life. That that little email, the electronic communication that I got this week that said prayer was that, sounded great to some people. The problem with it is that prayer or that approach to prayer will lead you somewhere. It just won't lead you to the right somewhere. And as we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as apprentices of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have the very real opportunity 
to go to the heart of God Himself through prayer. Don't miss the path of prayer. That's the first part. The second part is that prayer is a process. And I'd like to say it this way, that prayer was never intended to be a one-and-done kind of an exercise for us. In other words, I'll say it this way. Sometimes in our life, and I'm no different than you, sometimes we engage in what I like to call drive-by prayers. You understand that term? It's one of those that uh, is kind of like getting Chick-fil-A, right? And so you're hungry and you're driving. And so, you know what? I'll just swing through there and I'll grab some heavenly nourishment, Chick-fil-A. Some chicken gave his life so that you could have that lunch. And so we swing through there and we grab it and we go on about our tasks of the day and sometimes wolf down that chicken, that's a mixed metaphor, and do so without really giving much thought to what we're doing. Prayer can be that for us. It's not designed to be that for us, where we just kind of get a quick drive-by prayer with God. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's in the middle of a crisis. Maybe it's just, you know, over a meal, and we just kind of drop it out there, and then we just keep on moving, and God is in the distant past as we go on into the rest of our day. Prayer's never intended to be that. It's not that those are wrong. It's just that there's more to prayer than just that. This idea of communion with God, this intimacy that He gives us, is not a one-and-done kind of prayer. It's a process. Let me put it this way. This is an old preacher story. It can't be true. I just can't imagine that this would be true. Uh, But I heard several preachers tell it in my younger life, and so some of you may have heard it, but uh, let me go ahead and give it to you. Um, So a guy and a girl fall in love, and they get married. And actually, the scene that I want to take you to happens right after the wedding itself. But so, you know, you know how that goes, right? You've had weddings in your family. Some of you have been married, I know, and uh, some of you are wanting to get married. And if you'd like to meet somebody, you know, that's a different deal. Um, So they, they go to the wedding, they plan the wedding, they get it all done. You know, they I do and the I do and okay, you are. And so they, now they're married. And so they go from there and they go into the reception, and all kinds of friends are there, and it's a great time, and, and everybody goes through all of that process. And so somewhere in the reception process, the new husband and wife decide it's time to go, and he says, come on, let's go, and let's leave for our honeymoon. And so, so they change clothes, and they jump in the car, and they take off, and everything's great. It's all behind them, and everything went well, no drops or anything like that in the wedding or the reception. And so they're a few blocks away from the uh, wedding reception area. And the girl looks at her new husband and says, okay, you can take me home now. And he said, uh, well, oh, well, no, uh, we're going to go on our honeymoon first, and then we'll go to our home. And she said, no, you don't understand. You can take me to my home now. And she was right. He didn't understand. He was pretty slow on the uptake, but he could tell this wasn't going exactly how he thought a new marriage ought to go. And so he says, what do you mean? And he said, I don't understand. She said, here's what I mean. Take me home. He said, well, well, we have a honeymoon. I can take it our home. She said, no, I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about my home. Take me to my daddy's house, my home. And the guy's beyond himself. 
what do you mean? We're married now. We're going to build our own home, build our own family. To which she replied, oh, I never intended to live with you. I just wanted to have a wedding. Now, that's why I say I'm pretty sure that's not a true story. But I'll tell you what it does. It highlights the relationship that many Christian people have with Jesus. They went through the wedding, trusted Him as their Savior, might have even gotten baptized, committed themselves to Him. But as soon as all of that was over, they push Him to the side, and He's not part of their lives. I hope that's not you. But the truth of the matter is it could be any of us on any given day. We could make that choice to just push Jesus to the sideline. But prayer won't let us do that. Prayer as the path to intimacy with God opens the door for prayer as the process of living with Him. And so that intimacy marks our everyday lives. And in the process of doing that, He processes us. So we get step-by-step directions from Him on how to live our lives. Because life has a way of throwing curveballs at you. You may have your plans on what you're going to do this afternoon, but all it takes really is as you're leaving here, one person to run a stop sign and hit your car, and your plans change today. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. But that's how life happens with us. And so prayer makes that intimacy that we're talking about an everyday occurrence, a regular occurrence for us because of the process that we go through. And when it comes to mission fulfillment, back to these planks, and one of them will be called prayer, and we'll put it in place over here, and it'll be part of that bridge that we build because we want to be people of prayer, but not the limited version, the full spectrum. So we need that process day to day of hearing what God has to say to us as we reach and as we try to connect and as we build bridges, we need His direction. Let me take you back to the hiking trail for a moment. You know, there are a lot of options and diversions in life, <laughs> and that's the case on the trail too. So I, I, was, I made my mind up to go to Cottonwood Spring West, and I found where the trail was, and I took my map that I got, the paper map that I, I got from the uh, State Parks Department, and, and I also have an app on my phone that uh, shows me that particular trail. And so I studied the maps. And I noticed that on this map that there were a couple of places where the trail diverges and there's a couple of options. And uh, so I, I studied that, and I, I, I kind of tried to sear it into my memory because I knew once I got on the trail, I would need to be able to draw from that. And so let me just remind you, that sometimes we should not trust our memory. Because I got on that trail, parked my car, parked my car, and then I got on the trail and walked, I don't know, maybe 100 yards, and there's this trail that goes off to the right and one that goes straight up. And my head said, you saw this on the map. But my heart said, which way are you going to go? And it began to scream at me, you got to make a choice here. And so I was looking at it, I was thinking, well, I remember that one goes off, and so, uh, so I'm going to go this way. And, and ideally, theoretically, both of them get to the same destination, so I thought I was fine. And so I did that. I, I ignored the one to the right, and I just went up the 